Back on the draft prospect grind today, talking about Grady Dick, maybe the best shooter in the draft, but where are his other skills? Does he have enough to be on the court in the NBA? Should the Pacers consider taking him with the seventh or any pick? We'll get to all of it today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, in the spirit of draft coverage, it's Grady Dick Day here on Locked on Pacers as we continue to cut through a lot of these top 10 prospects. We've done the Thompson Twins, the commonly mocked top three, and Cam Whitmore so far with Grady Dick coming today. Speaking of Cam Whitmore, he worked out for the Pacers in a solo workout yesterday. You can hear more about him on an episode earlier this week and read about the workout on SI Pacers. Today, though, it's Grady Dick with Locked on Jayhawks host Derek Johnson. We get into everything, his shooting, his defense, what he can do that isn't just shooting, why he's considered a high-level prospect despite having some clear limitations. Does he make sense for the Pacers? We get to it all today. Let's just get right to it. Derek Johnson is here, and we're talking about Kansas sharpshooter Grady Dick today, except I'm already going to push back on the sharpshooter term. He is more than that to me as a player, and that is where I think analysis of him is really interesting. But, of course, that is where you start when talking about Grady Dick. Derek hosts our Locked on Jayhawks podcast. He knows the Kansas basketball team better than anyone. And Grady Dick, of course, the highlight package of his tape at Kansas, what he's going to be billed for as a prospect, is the shooting. What do you make of his outside shot and how he kind of leverages it to be everything about his game, whether that's running guys off the line, all sorts of stuff he does? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about an absolutely elite release. Uh, a guy who's six foot seven, six foot eight, shoots it at a really high arc from above his head. And it allows him because he he has a quick release in addition to the high release to get off threes in a myriad of ways. And even when he is contested, there, there's some games where you'll see him hit some threes where you're like, that guy was kind of playing perfect defense and it'll go down um, spot up shooting off the dribble a little bit um, kind of off movement. Like there's some things that he's still trying to hone and, and work on from, I think the intricacies of getting the three point range, but the shot itself is beautiful. Uh, KU back in the off season, last off season, had some former pros, some former KU players come back and, and just kind of, you know, scrimmage around with the team and, and have some fun. One of them was Brandon Rush, who, I don't know, had about a decade in the NBA. And and he was talking to Bill Self, the head coach for Kansas, about yeah how basically it is. He just has like this unblockable three-point shot and that it's going to be absolutely devastating. Um, he had a bit of a dip over the course of the season once we got to Big 12 play in terms of three-point shooting. Some teams are face guarding him, but I think once you get to the NBA, there's going to be a little bit less of that, a little less focus on him. He won't be the primary option or the the secondary option in theory on the court, at least right away in the beginning of his time. But I mean, I mean the shot itself is is beautiful and it is it is made for NBA basketball right off the bat. Yeah, that's the first note I had is how fast he gets a shot off. The first game I watched was at Missouri, uh, which was pretty early in Kansas' season, right? So he was still kind of being face guarded, but he was he had 15 points in like the first eight minutes of this game. Like he's open a lot. He's making plays with the ball. And then the second game I watched was they hosted Baylor, 
And you can already see Scott Drew's like, okay, we're going to have somebody facing you even when you're in the corner. <laughs> it's like already feels like the NBA where he's providing spacing just by existing, right? And Kansas made this furious comeback in that game in part because Grady Dick's impact in that second half where he scored like two points in this whole stretch. But Kansas is going crazy because they're just terrified of him even having the chance to catch with a little bit of space. And I think that the shot is where so much of his game kind of comes out from because he does have other skills and we'll talk about them. But I think a lot of what he does zooms out from that teams are like, oh, crap. You know, even if we're two steps away from him, he's just going to shoot right over you. And when you can make 40% of, I forget the exact number, he took 200 and something, a lot of them, you have to guard it. And that's a very obvious translatable NBA skill and why it's so clear to many that he's going to go in the lottery at some point. Yeah, and I would, uh, I'll give you a little bit of homework. This could be a fun one to look at. It was at the beginning of the season, so it might not be the ultimate Grady Dick experience in terms of the finished product, so to speak, what he was by the end of the season. But the NC State game toward the beginning of the year it was the uh, Bahamas Invitational, whatever they call that tournament. And it, it really was a, a tale of, of kind of two halves. The first half was everything you would uh, you would want, uh, imagine, envision for a guy who is a sharpshooter from the outside, hitting tough threes against NC State. And then the second half kind of struggled a little bit with the jump shots, still found ways to get to the line and impact the game a little bit. But that would be one that I would add for you if you're, you're trying to look back on some Grady Dick stuff. Yeah, I try to do, I've talked about this before, on some other guys, I try to do a best game and a worst game to see like what the difference was and then try to find just some in the middle ones. So then you can really see like, okay, when this guy's at his best, here's what he does well. When he's at his worst, here's what's going wrong. And then you can kind of find the middle ground in between that. And Kansas kind of went as Grady Dick went, right? Like when he had fewer than 10 points, I think they were like an under 500 team and they were really good this year, right? So he, he was a big factor in what they do offensively but i we've talked about his shooting even though i said i don't view him as just a shooter it's really interesting to me like one of my favorite things he does and something i think about a lot with prospects who are good shooters is like when they get to the nba the defenders are taller faster can jump higher like if if you just if they can defend your shot what else can you do what other thing can you do when you get run off the line Grady Dick's got this really funny, like he holds the ball up so high, like he's about to shoot and just one dribble to his left side. And he just hits a long two and long twos aren't encouraged in the NBA. But if you're just drilling these wide open counters, that's great. And I think his passing is when he gets run off the lines, pretty good, even though I wouldn't be like, oh, he's a, this high level passer. I don't know what you think of all this, but I think the fact that he has some abilities when run off the line makes me more encouraged about what his NBA game will look like, especially given what he did at Kansas. Yeah, I think the hope would be, I don't know if you want to toss out a name, like the hope would be Ray Allen. I'm not saying that's going to be the case, but you're talking about a three-point shooter who was more than that. He could hit those floaters and, and kind of drive it on the deck a little bit at times. That would be the hope for what you can get out of Grady Dick. And, and yeah, there was more there than just the three-point shooting. A lot of it was set up because of the three-point shooting. Really good cutter off the ball. Uh, really good ability to you know, yep. kind of read the defense. And if they're putting too much attention on him, just kind of cut away from his man and, and get an open lane. He's a good athlete. Uh, I wouldn't say he's a great athlete, but he's a good athlete, has enough verticality. He'll dunk on you if you give him the chance, especially if he can backdoor the opposition. Uh, he's good in transition. He's good running the lane. He'll, he'll attack the rim straight out in transition. Uh, good in spot-up situations. I think he was in the 86th percentile last year on Synergy and in, in transition scoring. So he, he finds other ways to score the basketball. Uh, clearly, there are ways he's still looking to improve. Like, he's not really somebody who's going to, you know, hit you with, like, a straight-line drive to the rim 
or he's going to finish a ton through contact. Most of his buckets around the rim were more so on cuts or getting the ball fed to him or in transition. But he has, it seems like more growth to his game than just being a spot up shooter. Like, I, I don't think this is uh, a player who comes in and, and I'm blanking on the kid's name, a uh, Vanderbilt shooter who, who went like at the end of the lottery or something to the Celtics. Aaron years ago. A Pacers yes, player. Aaron. Yeah. I, I don't think this is an Aaron Neesmith where it's like he's he's just being brought in to, to shoot threes. I think there is more there with Grady Dick. Now, will he develop into that? Will he just become a set shooter? That, that'll be the ultimate question. But I, I think there's more meat on the bone there. Yeah, I wonder if he could be like a Kevin Herter, maybe someone like that at the NBA level. And the cuts are really interesting because we talked about him getting face guarded. He's really good at like the coach's son kind of like lean one way, cut the other way really fast and get like that kind of stuff to get open. That's all impressive. He had uh in the Baylor game, he finished an alley-oop dunk and I was like, Oh, his, <laughs> he's pretty high <laughs> on that play. Like he, he's not athletic. I wouldn't say, but he, he can get up there cause he's tall. But the, the thing about his offense, that's interesting is he has all these little mechanisms that you just said to like finish plays and get open. But he hasn't like this, this would be my biggest knock on him offensively as a prospect. He doesn't put a lot of pressure on the rim. He only took, 80 layups this season, like the whole season, and that includes dunks. Uh, his free throw rate's really low, and that's a, generally an indicator that NBA teams like to look at of like, okay, you can create your shots or make a defense rotate and draw fouls. And so the shooting's good. The counters are good. The passing's fine. But if you can't be putting pressure on the rim all the time, it's like guys are just going to hug you and do their best to take you out of the game. And it's not that easy. If you're a good cutter, you'll find ways to get open. Doug McDermott did that for the Pacers for years. But the lack of rim pressure and gravity is kind of where I would be not concerned I would say but just like okay this is where there's a big limit on his offense Hey guys, one short little break so I could talk to you about FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA Finals because right now new customers can get a no sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. You can get great promotions every day on FanDuel. They have a safe and secure app. You can get paid your money instantly. There's no better place to bet on all the NBA Finals action than a America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Yeah, and that's why I think whoever's going to draft him, you're going to probably end up thinking this is like the perfect complementary player, the perfect role yes. player, because he doesn't really need the ball in his hands. He doesn't need to dribble it out. He can sit in the corner and shoot threes for you. He can work off movement. He He's... Uh, the defense is is certainly interesting, and we'll get to that here later, but uh, there's <laughs> enough there that he can be complimentary. I will say one other thing that he does well on the offensive end to, to score some points, he'll have some moments where he really is a good offensive rebounder. It's not all the time yeah. because, I mean, he's a wing, so a lot of times he's asked to get back on transition defense, but there were some key plays throughout the year. I mean, there, there were a couple games Kansas does not win this year that they won close games where he just worked out an extra offensive possession for them in a close game. Uh, the Oklahoma State game comes to mind. He did it a couple times where he just crashes the offensive glass and because there's so much attention to him as a three-point shooter, he's able to get kind of a, a cleaner run to the lane and he actually ended up being a good offensive rebounder, whether it was to just get it and tap it out or to go back up with an offensive rebound. Ended up having some crucial plays for Kansas. So I, I don't know that the overall numbers on the season show that he's this great offensive rebounder, but I think there is a lot there. Now, obviously, in the NBA, a lot of teams, um, probably less so than college, are, are crashing the offensive glass ad nauseum. But, I mean, 
uh, that's there. And that's another way that he can kind of impact the game in a small level. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I put his rebounding in my notes. I'm mostly from defensive stuff, but like when he's around the basket, he's going to get up and get it. And that's that matters. The last thing I would I would mention about his offense, he never turns it over, right? Like low mistakes kind of player, even with passes. I think that is important. But there's a reason Grady Dick is, is I don't know what the right word is. Like, right, polarizing seems wrong. It's not like there's like this big internet feud about Grady Dick, but there is the whole other side of the ball. A lot of people like really kill his defense. It's not, it's not good. It's definitely not good. His foot speed is fine. I think like he chops it and stays in front of people, but he can't really fight through screens. He could get bullied a lot. Like his off ball defense is better than some prospects. I think he stands in the right place. I'm just saying buzzwords. I feel like though, like in general, if he is to guard a guy in front of him, it's not a strength of his. It does not go well. And that is certainly concerning in the NBA, even though I'm of the opinion, and I think many are now that. If you're his size in the NBA, if you can either shoot or defend, I say this so often that my listeners probably drives them crazy at this point. You just got to do one and you can be on the floor in the NBA. He can be on the floor if the shot translates. That's enough. But if he can't defend at all, that's really going to limit what he can be in the NBA. I'm curious. You saw all of it. What you think of his defense. Does he have any sort of redeeming qualities on that end? The perception. Is it right? What do you feel like about all that? I actually think there's a little more there. I'm, I'm not trying to say that he's this like elite defender was a, even a plus defender last year at Kansas. But the thing that I always look at with defense, especially for young guys like freshmen, what is your want to level? I mean, we've seen before guys who come in and, and they're not really trying that hard on defense but with Grady Dick. He was always trying. He was trying to be in the, the right spots. And there were times when he would get lost off the ball. There were times when he would, as you mentioned, get blown by if, if he was guarding, you know, smaller, quicker guard. And so that stuff's not ideal. And, and obviously, but he was always trying at it. And what that tells me is that, right, like it, it was never a, a problem of the want to, which that's half of the battle on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, a lot of the issue was just inexperience, him being green on that end. And so I think if you give him a couple years, can he at least be like a solid team defender where he's not like a, a great individual defender, but can he be a solid team defender? Can he do enough for you on that end where he, you know, even if he's a below average defender, that might be good enough. So I think there's enough there. He actually was really good at anticipating and getting steals. Um, that was one thing that he was good at. Right, yeah. yeah and, and then you look at the, the synergy numbers. He was at the end of the day, I think, there was a little bit lost in the idea that if you watched a lot of Kansas games, a lot of opposing teams would target him. And Kansas ran a switching scheme that at times they switched one through four. Other times of the season, they switched one through five. So there were times when he would get guarded on, you know, like an Adam Flagler or an LJ Kratt, like one of these guards who could really score at the collegiate level, who's like six foot, six foot one is really quick, really fast. And I, I don't know that that benefits him the best because those are a lot of times when he struggled. And so when you look at Kansas defensively, you had Dewan Harris, who was the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. You had Kevin McCuller, who, for my money, was the best defensive player in the Big 12 and probably could have won that award over Dewan Harris. When you were an opposing team, K.J. Adams was a solid enough defender. It, it, it's not necessarily that they were always targeting Grady Dick just because he was a bad defender, it's sometimes just because he was the weakest link on a team that had a lot of good defenders. And so what you ended up having was him getting attacked a lot. So you would notice over the course of games that they're constantly going at this guy. Uh, yeah, some of that was he's a freshman, and, and again, he, he wasn't an elite defender, but some of that was just, well, we're not going to go at that other guy, right? 
And so you look at the synergy numbers actually ended up being pretty good. 65th percentile in overall half court defense, 64th percentile in man to man defense. Both of those are classified as good on synergy. So I, I think there's more there than, than you would expect. Again, I, I think he was probably closer to being like an average defender at the collegiate level. So you're probably looking at, you know, below average poor once you get to the NBA level. But again, if we go back to the idea that there is that one, two on that defensive end of the court, that once he, once he starts to realize what he's doing and once he gets more comfortable in that, I think he can be at least a good enough team defender to make the offense work. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know if you've heard this before, but some people talk about defensive skills in three buckets. It's can't, won't, doesn't know how. I think the hope would be for him as a freshman, especially is that he's in doesn't know how and not can't and so in the nba with the right teaching with the right coaching with the right system like i don't think he'll ever be like an awesome on ball defender i don't think anybody thinks i don't even know if grady dick thinks he'll be an awesome on ball defender in the nba but if you get him in the right spots he's already got a decent read of the game the steal rate is good two and a half percent salad then he can be that team defender guy i actually thought his positioning was pretty good but like once he actually had to rotate over he just got destroyed like he He's just too, he was too frail for a lot of the contact situations. So at least there was a deterrent there. I think that's good, and maybe that suggests that he will know how, and it'll be better on that end. But I I I ended up not concerned. Like that's never the right way to put it. These guys are nineteen years old, but just like man, he's gonna have to figure out something on that end of the floor, whether that's being a touch faster, right, with his lateral movements, and he can stay in front of guys. Whether that's just being a, a step quicker with those rotations so guys just can't go right through. I don't know what it is, but it's just like there's there's not an obvious way to me that what happened in Kansas isn't going to happen in the NBA where he is targeted, right? And I actually think it's good for Kansas prospects that they go through a switching scheme before the NBA. That'll make him a step ahead of some guys. That's good. But at the same time, you're going to be switching in the NBA. A lot of Basically, every NBA team does like size switching at some point. You have to guard somebody sometime. How are you going to do it? What's going to be your thing? And I think there has to be some sort of physical stature improvement because I do think the team defense is going to be there at some point. Not right away. It never is for a rookie right away. But how, how is he going to stop the guy across from him? I'm not sure how that's going to happen yet. Yeah, and I think uh, you bring something important up with the stature. I mean, about 200 pounds, 205 pounds for Grady Dick, and and at six foot seven, six foot eight, there should be room to grow in yeah. terms of that physical build. So if you can get him up to, you know, 215, 220, even 225, then maybe you can even get away with him at times playing as a four. You know what I mean? If, if you're playing kind of a smaller situation and that might be more beneficial to him from a foot speed perspective on the defensive end of the court. Um, I, I think you're, you're spot on. I, I don't know if you'll ever get to that point with him being this at least average team defender by the time you reach the end of his the first portion of his rookie contract before uh, you would have to start giving out the team options and stuff. But I, I think right around there is where you're looking to. And I don't know how that affects his, I guess, NBA view of things, because ideally, if you're taking someone in the lottery or in the kind of middle of the first round, you, you'd like to be able to give them that second contract, have them extended on on some of the team option stuff to where. Um, is this going to be a guy who is more of like a journeyman who goes around place to place and is a good shooter and, and they're still trying to develop and it's the second team that ends up with him that he's able to figure out the defense. Does that make him any less valuable? I don't know, but I would be willing to take that risk with him just because I, I just go back to the idea that it was never for a lack of trying and Bill Self historically, especially with freshmen, has been very 
cautious about playing them big minutes if they are not doing if they're at least not giving good effort on the defensive end of the floor. MJ Rice came in this past year. He was a five-star recruit, never really cracked the rotation because he couldn't really figure that stuff out. I mean, Sheck Diallo about a decade ago ended up being an early second round pick by the uh, Clippers. What a throwback and, name. I know, right? Well, and, and he played, he wasn't even playing in the rotation come the NCAA tournament. He was playing, you know, sub 10 minutes per game when he was because he couldn't figure out the defensive side of the ball. So the fact that Bill Self kept Grady Dick on the floor for, you know, 30 plus minutes per game shows you that he at least had some bare minimum level of trust that he was giving at least a decent effort and that he was at least showing improvement to some degree on the defensive end of the court. So you talked about, you know, NBA life a little bit there. What do you make of his game and compared to the way the NBA is played now, how he would fit into it? Because obviously, look, it, it's really easy to go, oh, look, the Celtics just took 53s a game in the conference finals. Like, duh, a good shooter is going to fit in the NBA. But in general, there's a lot of movement. Defense is important. Transition rates are going up. At the same time, the playoff game's totally different from that. There's a lot of layers to what the NBA game is now. How do you feel like his game fits in what the NBA is today? Well, I think it'll help him with the additional spacing that you get out in the NBA with the combination of the bigger floor and just better athletes all around that is going to open him up a little bit more. At Kansas, he was basically the second option behind Jalen Wilson, but like they got in the NCAA tournament and Eric Musselman, the head coach for Arkansas, said he was their first the, the primary option they were trying to take away because going back to what you mentioned earlier, when he did well, KU did well, right? And so from that standpoint, when he walks on an NBA floor, I mean, I guess it kind of depends what team he goes to, whether he would be like a, a fifth starter or, I don't know, an eighth man, ninth man off the bench. It just kind of depends how that all works out. But he's not going to be one of those top two options on the floor at that point in time. He's going to be more of that spot-up shooter role, uh, which I think is going to help him out early on. Uh, something that he definitely will need to improve. And, and this goes back to the shooting. The shot is there. There's a lot there. It's movement without the ball. When he did get face guarded at times this season, he sometimes struggled to make an impact on the game and figured out or, or struggled to figure out other ways to try to make that impact. And um, that's something that comes with age, like Ochag Baji, who was, you know, end of lottery pick uh, the, the season before. He was basically what Grady Dick was as a three-point shooter just in terms of impact and, and percentages and stuff at KU. But he was so good moving without the ball. But it took him till his senior year to figure that out. It takes time. And so Grady Dick, as a freshman, was still learning some of the stuff, how to move without the ball, how to operate off a screen. I think he was just in the 34th percentile in uh, shooting off screen. So he's still figuring out some of the, the nuances of the game. But I think that's exciting because you have a kid who shot 40% from three as a freshman without knowing some of those little intricacies that he's going to learn and even better rate in the NBA where that is now his job and he doesn't have to go to school to where I would imagine he's going to benefit from playing in the NBA in a lot of different ways on the offensive end. Certainly there are a lot of those questions about the defensive end because of the more spacing and possibly the lack of lateral quickness on the defensive end of the floor. But he feels like to me a very high floor prospect because of the fact of that shot that at the very least he can be someone who can be kind of a journeyman three-point shooter and that if the defense is at least decent and some of the other offensive stuff and rebound comes together then maybe you do have potential to be a really impactful player is, is kind of like a, a fourth best starter on a, a good playoff team yeah I agree with all that I, I I think too Dewan Harris is good I think really good setup men or passers will help him too just like oh wow I, I'm the second I get open I have the ball to shoot now and he, Harris was fine but the rest of Kansas it's like 
pulling teeth to get them to pass. Sometimes it felt like I, when I was going through some of these possessions, Jalen Williams, who's very good, or excuse me, Jalen Williams, Jalen Wilson. There's a lot of Jalen Williams in the NBA. Uh, Jalen Wilson. I was like, give Grady Dick the ball, please. Just for my viewing experience. Again, not to dump on these guys. They're good players. Uh, I think better passers uh, will be helpful for him. And a word you said earlier, I want to, I want to bring up is complimentary piece. Like I think as, a role-playing shooter type, a movement shooter type, he'll be super valuable next to any team in whatever range he gets picked in, top 10, top 15, whatever, that already has a really good creator. The team we're talking on the podcast for, the Pacers do, and Tyrese Halliburton. I'm not saying the Pacers should or shouldn't pick him at seven, but I will. I would say if they did pick him, he would fit well with Tyrese Halliburton, and that is exceedingly important to the Pacers draft process. But even like, again, I don't think... Grady Dick's going to go fifth, but like Detroit has good creators already, you know, like any team that has guards who can get their teammates the ball is going to be a good landing spot for him because as that complimentary piece, that's really valuable. And I think that sometimes people think lottery picks like, okay, if you're being a guy in the top 14, the expectation is like good starter all-star and like, that's just not reality. <laughs> There's like maybe two or three all-stars per year in the lottery. So if you get a solid complimentary player, that's good, but there are also a lot of questions about the totality of his game and things like that, that makes it not that easy, but any team with a high level, good creator already, I think he'll just slide right in and be able to do some stuff pretty early on in his career. Yeah. I, uh, John Hollinger for the athletic always talks about that. Typically there's about 20 guys in every draft class that end up being either really good players or just sticking at all in the NBA. And you feel good that Grady Dick's going to be one of those guys. And and I think it's just a philosophical question to your point. Like, yeah, ideally at, at pick seven, I think Jamal Murray went like pick seven or, or something right around there. Like, ideally, yeah. you're getting something like that. But that's not always the case. And in the draft. Very draft, rarely. Like, Very rarely right. is the case. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, hypothetically, if you could say was Kyle Korver, was he worth the seventh overall pick? in his given draft class. I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at that draft class, but you're talking about a guy who played in the NBA for, I don't know, darn near 20 years and was at least one time all-star and, and one of the years with the Hawks. And I don't know, is that worth the seven pick? Maybe, maybe not, but I, I feel like the floor is at least there with Grady Dick that you're going to get something out of him. And, and I do think from, you know, your standpoint here with the Pacers, because of the fact that, yeah, Tyrese Halliburton is kind of your star that you're working around. I do think that that kind of opens things up to make things a little easier on figuring out the other role players around him. And I think that would be a fun little wing core with both him and Ben Matherin uh, on the outside. To answer your question, if you knew when you were picking Kyle Korver that you got his whole career, yeah, yeah, he's seven, <laughs> easily seven. Uh, he was in a sick draft in 2003, so a little unfair to look at that specifically, but like that's how I would view the seventh pick. Like If you get Kyle Korver, you're like, hell yeah, all right, we'll take it. Um, so I, I think Grady Dick's really interesting. I think he is definitely, I think the one dimensional billing is fair, um, but I think there are is room to grow for him. And I think that some of the labels about him are wrong, but I do think that he's still a limited player. I want to close with this because obviously you're on campus, rock chalk. There we go. Look at me go. Um, what do you, do you know him well at all? What kind of person is he? How will that kind of blend in for him in, in a pro basketball culture? Yeah. So, I mean, every time we, we get to see him at press conferences and just kind of around, he, he's a really goofy kid. He's goofy, fun, loving. Like anytime you would ask the other KU basketball players about like, who's the funniest player on the team? Uh, most often Grady Dick was the answer. He's someone who keeps it loose, keeps it light in the locker room. He likes to joke around with the other players. Very uh, personable 
type of player. Got a couple of really good parents too. Like he, he's someone who you pretty much you put him in whatever locker room and you feel like he's going to be kind of an amoeba. He'll just adjust to it and he'll be a good uh, kind of culture fit to wherever brings him in. Every NBA team would love to have that and hear that. Derek, thank you very much for the time. Where can people follow you and your work covering the Kansas Jayhawks if they want to know more about Grady Dick or Jalen Wilson or any other Kansas players? Yeah, you can uh, find Locked on Jayhawks um, wherever you get any of your podcasts or on YouTube as well. Uh, You can hit me up on Twitter at D Johnson Radio. And uh, yeah, so uh, if you have any questions, who knows? Maybe maybe Jalen Wilson will find his way or, or, or to Indiana or maybe we'll have a future player on. Uh, that you know next year could have some interesting ones with El Marco Jackson and some others. So Brandon Rush was a pacer. I'm trying to think of any other recent can I mean there has to be some more recent Kansas Pacers, right? Oh gosh, Rush is the only one that comes to mind. I mean at this point Svi Mikhailuk is kind of hitting up the oh, NBA no. tour. So I don't know. Maybe he makes his way there at some point. Uh but no I don't I don't think right now off the top of my head. Yeah there haven't been any recently now that I even have the list of the the Kansas guys in front of me. Well, maybe this will be the year that it changes. Follow Derek. Follow his work covering the Jayhawks next week. We'll start digging into the free agents by position profiles here at Locked On Pacers and more draft content. Still want to get to Jarris Walker, Taylor Hendricks, and a few more guys. Thank you guys a ton for listening. See you soon.